You're listening to The Upland Rookie, a podcast presented by Upland Brits. Hey, what's going on, everyone? And welcome to episode 41 of the Upland Rookie Podcast. I'm your host, Will Larson, and as always, this is presented by Upland Brits. Also brought to you by Anook Shook Professional Dog Food. Anook Shook's dense formulations ensure that your pup in training and your seasoned bird dog get what they need to succeed in the field. Anook Shook works hard so your dogs can work harder. Also brought to you by Trinity Bretons, home of the Epignol Breton. All Trinity Breton dogs are from champion bloodlines that are field tested and family approved. For over 32 years, Trinity Bretons has worked to offer you the best bred Epignol Breton in the country. Check them out at trinitybretons.com. Also brought to you by Gunner Kennels. I've personally used and tested every major kennel brand on the market today. After months of hands-on experience, Gunner Kennels are the only kennels I'll use for my favorite bird dogs. Man's best friend deserves man's best kennel. That's a Gunner Kennel. Also brought to you by Onyx Hunt. Use promo code TUR20 for 20% off your subscription to Onyx Hunt today. And last, brought to you by Pointer Traditions. They are making the best collars, leashes, leads, bird straps on the market today. Both my dogs are rocking custom-sized Pointer Tradition collars. So check them out, PointerTraditions.com. Use code ROOKIE15 to say 15% off your order today. Hey, what's going on, everyone? Um, you may hear some bird noises in the background. I'm not sure if it's picking it up or not. Um, we have some new baby chicks around here, and we have them in the garage under the heat lamp, and they're getting a little noisy. So apologize for um, these chicks going crazy over my shoulder. So Anyways, I hope everyone's doing well. It is April. Um, we made it to episode 41. It is uh, mid-April here, and it is time to set our sights on bird season. Yes, uh, bird season cannot come soon enough. A uh, buddy of mine posted a photo today or video of, uh, of his pup uh, up in uh, up hunting last year, and man, it just got me excited. Um, we're in April. We got May, June, July, August, September. Kind of far away, but we're getting closer. We're closing the gap uh, on chasing September birds uh, here. So very excited. Just want to you know throw the little teaser out there. Get everyone's blood flowing. Um, you know, looking looking the bird season. But April and, and springtime is also a good puppy month as well. And so I've had a, a couple people this past week actually reach out to me, uh, just asking about picking up puppies. And this is something I've I've chatted about a couple times. And um you know, what, what to look for and all that kind of stuff. I'm actually going to refer people back to, um, the Jeff Hoskins episode I did, uh, 
few, a few um, last month or something like that. Um, take a look to that uh, or listen to that episode. Uh, he shares a lot of wisdom around. I think it was episode two or the, I think the end of episode one or part one um, with Jeff Hoskins that we we kind of got into puppy development and what he's looking for in bird dogs. And one of the things that he mentioned in that episode, and he's told me this before, but. Um, uh, you know, breeding and, and picking puppies, it's an odds game. It's an odds game. Or in, in looking at pedigrees, really, it's an odds game. And that's kind of always stuck with me because, um, again, you're it's not a guarantee. Looking at an amazing pedigree where parents are proven, they've won some stuff, they have some titles on them, that's amazing. Um, it's no guarantee, though. It is uh, upping your chances, and I firmly believe that. It's upping your chances to... Um, get an amazing dog. Um, it is no guarantee though. Um, I'm big on bloodlines. I know some people aren't, some people are like, ah, like, I don't care what the bloodlines are. I don't care what the parents said. That's fine. That's, that's, everyone has their own opinion and own thought, um, which is totally fine. Uh, personally, I, I like to have that confidence knowing, uh, you know, what the parents, grandparents, et cetera, did, uh, down the line of these dogs. And so, again, that's just my own opinion. I, I like having, um, yeah, looking back in the bloodlines and seeing what what dogs did what, and then how they, pro- you know, what what dogs they produced. Um, that's always exciting for me to kind of look back and get a little nerdy on some of those things. And so, um, when you're looking to pick up a dog, I would just say do your research. Do your research for the kind of dog you're picking up. Uh, you know, that fits your lifestyle. That fits you, the, the kind of hunting you're gonna do. Um, and, and talk to different breeders. That's a big thing I would say is is call different breeders. Um, don't just call one, maybe two. Like, ask around. Ask people who have the breed. You know, people um, who have different breeds, and just ask questions of like, what's their you know, any challenges you face. Any you know, just just be creative. Don't just think, oh, I want a GSP or I want a Brittany, and I'm just gonna go for that. Like, ask around. Uh, you know, you're, you're going to learn a lot of things. Um, people ask me about Britney's all the time. I'll, I'll tell them the good and the bad. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to sugarcoat things. They're not for everyone. Just as setters aren't for everyone or facials aren't for everyone. Uh, it's going to depend really on the person's circumstances. So, um, yeah. So if you're looking to pick up a puppy, I, I would say, do your, do your homework, do your research. Um, I would suggest looking at pedigrees, um, again, upping your chances to get a really, really good dog. I don't think can hurt. Um, some dogs you may, you may pay a little bit more if they have a, have a really good pedigree and that's, you have to decide if that's worth it for you. Uh, if that's in your budget, what that looks like, um, again, I, I don't know for sure how much higher, you know, puppies might cost if they have a great pedigree. I don't know, but yeah, I'm sure it could be a little bit more expensive. So lot to consider. Um, all that to say, have fun with a puppy. Now, if you're picking one up this summer, um, I know we're, we're getting closer to summer now. Um, just, just have real expectations on, uh, hunting that dog this fall. Um, chances are if you're picking them up in June, July, um, just have real expectations and might not be the best thing to, you know, start shooting birds over him in September. Maybe, maybe not. Um, chances are he's going to be really young and you want to lay a good foundation, good framework. And so just keep that in mind. If you're looking to pick up a pup kind of mid, uh, late summer, you know, spend the fall, carve out some time to be working with that pup in a controlled um, environment, work on some house manners, some obedience stuff, and just have fun. Have fun with the puppy, uh, get him acclimated and used to uh, just life with you 
car rides, you know, vet appointments in your house, outside your house, potty training, all that fun stuff <laughs> that comes with, uh, with owning a bird dog and owning a puppy. So lots to, uh, lots to consider there. So puppies are fun. Um, I do, I, I don't know. I always kind of miss the puppy face. It drives me nuts and it's something I really enjoy. So who knows when we'll get another one, but, um, anyways, I think that's all I had to cover for you guys today. Uh, we're going to kind of jump into this episode here pretty quick. Um, really fun episode. Another thing with springtime and summer, people equate that or uh, relate that with training season. And so this is a really fun uh, episode all about training birds and specifically homing pigeons. Uh, I sit down with Jeff Lusk and we dive into uh, what it takes to keep, and I say successfully keep, homing pigeons. If, if you're going down that route of thinking about, or maybe you already have pigeons like I do, and you're like, hey, what does it take to keep them su- successfully? What does it take to train them to home? What's um, f- the feeding look like? The watering look like? There's a lot of details in this episode that I didn't even realize. Um, how I've been feeding my pigeons probably was not the best, <laughs> and that could it probably has contributed to some of them not uh, homing for me. And so uh, Jeff is a wealth of knowledge when it comes to uh, pigeon care. Um, he's gotten into a little bit of the pigeon racing as well. And uh, it's it's pretty fun to nerd out and talk birds because uh, I know the old saying goes, birds make a bird dog. And so, um, again, some people may have strong opinions on using pigeons. I don't care, really. I think pigeons are awesome. It, it lets you get out there, work your dog, and uh, yeah, I, I I have not seen it yet hurt a dog, and so I'm sure maybe overuse of pigeons could I don't know, but I think pigeons are great. I use them a lot. Uh, I know a lot of uh, older trainers that are using them a lot and uh, have have a, have had a lot of success uh, developing their bird dogs. So all that to say, uh, this is a great episode. I hope you enjoy it, Jeff Lusk. Uh, here we go, episode forty one. Uh, let's let's jump in. Um, first off, put us on the map. Where are you talking to us from? And tell us a little bit about who you are. Yeah, I'm in a, a city called Puyallup, Washington. A lot of people will pronounce it Puyallup, uh, which is in the Pacific Northwest, uh, up in Washington State, the west side of the Cascades. Um, yeah, I was born and raised here. Uh, lived my the house I grew up in is about a quarter mile away. So I've almost never left the street that I live on now. Um, big time. I don't want to say big time, plenty of people more big time, but I like to hunt birds. I love dogs. Um, I used to do a lot more big game hunting, but I just, I'd rather enjoy my time with my dogs. So I keep getting away from it a little bit more every year, unfortunately. Uh, but I do still spend some time out bow hunting, do a little bit of rifle hunting, do some bear hunting in the fall, uh, in spring, uh, elk hunting, killed moose in Idaho. Oh, wow. I, I mean, I've, I've done a lot of stuff as far as big game goes and I really enjoy it, but there's just something about the dogs that keeps <laughs> bringing me back to, I don't know, it, you know, at the end of the day, it's like, you want to fill the freezer and an elk or a deer would be way better, but I'd rather go shoot two quail and a rooster and call a day. Yeah. Dude, that's, that's like, I did not pay you to say that either. That's like the whole, like, that's my jam. When I hear people say like, just, I want more time with my dogs. And like, that's just, I don't know. That's what gets me excited. I, I love that. 
Yeah. You know, I, I finally realized that one day I, I bought my first dog, like, well, not my first dog, but getting back into upland hunting. And I was like, I went out and it was just his first year and we killed a rooster and it was like, okay, I'm going to be here for a couple of days. I'm going to put him in the truck. I'm just going to go walk around. And I, I went out for like, probably like a mile or two. And I pushed up a bunch of pheasant, like six or seven hens and a rooster. And I just remember picking up my gun and I was like, what am I doing? This is, this is not why I'm here. I didn't even pull the trigger. And I walked back to the truck and I was like, I'm just going to hang out all day. We'll go back out in the evening or tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, that, that was like the first year back into it. So it's kind of like, it's only about the dogs. It's not about sure. anything else. It's just totally. the dogs. Totally. So, if you don't have a dog out there with you, it's like, why am I out here? <laughs> it, yeah. I mean, maybe for duck hunting, I guess, but sure. you know, upland stuff. I don't know. It's just super personable. And I, love I, that. I like that. Yeah. I love it, man. Um, so I was going to ask you, you mentioned bear because I don't or not Idaho. Washington's pretty good for bear, right? Bear hunting. Then. Yeah. We have good bear population. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's cool. That's cool. I, I, I keep putting it. I keep they putting just got bear. rid of our spring. Oh, they got rid of the spring. Oh yeah. Shoot. We had a bunch of people, uh, the west side of our state. That. Yeah. They, they, they've been trying to get it back. Uh, okay. but they just, they voted on it and they took away our spring season, which is unfortunate because oh. I mean, we do have good populations of bear. It's, it's not struggling at all. So sure. that's too bad. Yeah. That's too bad. No, I, I keep putting in bear points here in Colorado, building up a little bit, but it's maybe, maybe someday I'll, yeah. I'll get out there. But again, time is limited. It's, it's, do I choose I to go out with the dogs, chase upland birds or that's it. Try something different. It's a, it's a time thing, but um well, very cool man um first off we'll get into your dogs a lot more later but what what kind of dogs do you have i've got english cocker spaniels english which is cocker kind of spaniels. A, okay yeah so there's two types of english cocker spaniels that you get field bred and show bred obviously i have field bred but some people do hunt with like show bred cockers okay. um a lot less energy a lot little uh, or a lot less kind of you're not going to get a full day hunt out of a showbread typically or these okay. field bread cockers, man. They just, they are a little, little package, but they yeah. just, they pack a punch, man. I don't know if you've seen them or not, but yeah, I've, I've never hunted pretty good. Yeah. Never hunted over a cocker. Cause I was, I was looking at some of your, your photos and yours, you you have the all white ones, right? You're mostly white. Yeah. I've cockers. got two, two white ones. Okay. They've got some orange, uh, coloring on to them. And then gotcha. I've got actually an all black one, a little puppy right now. So, okay. Okay, cool. Yeah. They, they just from photos, they looked a little bigger than I guess other cockers I've seen. And so I was in my mind, I was wondering what they were. I didn't know they were cockers. Yeah. So Posey's about 27 pounds. Okay. And that's probably the one I post the most of, okay. um, but she's got kind of longer legs for a cocker. Gotcha. But so a just kind of lean body. Okay. Yep. Okay. Very yep. cool. Because I, I was kind of curious. I was like, what kind of dogs are these? <laughs> I didn't, I yeah. didn't honestly, I didn't know they're cockers. That's super yep. cool, man. That's super cool. We're going to get into them a lot more in a little bit. Um, but Jeff, why don't you unpack uh, your story a little bit more? Like tell, like, did you grow up hunting? Did you grow up upland hunting? Like what's a little bit of your story getting into the outdoors and, and upland hunting? Uh, I did not grow up hunting my family didn't grow up hunting. Um, I was 10 and I remember I'd go down to my neighbors right around the corner up here and he had all these deer on the wall, like all these mounts. And I was just like, I want to hunt. I want to hunt. 
And, uh, I actually went with him and his two kids to get my hunter's education. So I was 10 years old. And then it was just like, I mean, fast forward six years. Like I did no hunting because my dad worked his butt off best dad in the world. Just, he was not a hunter. So once I got my hunting light or my driver's license, it was like, okay, I can actually go now. Ended up buying a dog at 17. I was a junior in high school. I bought a yellow lab, uh-huh. took it down to our local sportsman show, uh, the Puyallup sports show. I remember walking around and I talked to every person who had like a dog training thing. I was like, give me a business card. And I was so scared. <laughs> I was like, I don't know what I'm in. All these grown men, you know, like I'm 17, weigh like 110 pounds. <laughs> But I hear I have this dog and like, I'm, I'm, I want to do something. So I start calling people and I'm like, Hey, how much to come train with you? And they're like, Oh, it's 50. And I'm like, click, I I'm 17. I can't afford it. And then I ended up calling somebody and he was like, Hey, just bring your dog out. If you throw birds for me, I'll throw birds for you. We'll have Mm -hmm. fun. So I, I went out to their house pretty much every day after school. And it was like a 20 minute drive I go train my dog in the afternoon drive home, do my homework, go back to school the next day. And, uh, ended up kind of doing some, you know, a bunch of waterfowl hunting, met a bunch of people through some hunt tests. Uh, I didn't run a ton of them, but I ran enough to where I met a lot of cool people and it just brought me into the dog world. And then fast forward, it was like, I kind of got out of the dogs for a minute. I still had them and I still hunted, but it was like, I got a bow started big game hunting. Mm. I was probably early twenties and I really made the mistake on the first night I ever bow hunted in my life. I killed an elk, a bull elk. And I was like totally ruined for a long time. Dogs went on the back burner. I just deer hunted, elk hunted, bear hunted for a while. Um, but then it was like, I don't know, probably five years ago now, six years ago, uh, a buddy of mine had a short hair. He was like, Hey, you should come do some quail hunt with me. I was like, Oh yeah, I'll have to pull out a shotgun. I don't even know what I have anymore. <laughs> so I went out with him and it was just like back to seeing his dog work, just lock up on point. And I was like, okay, I'm buying a dog. Got to get back into it. Got back into dogs and I have not slowed down since, uh, if anything, it's kind of been the reverse. It's just less elk hunting, less deer hunting, all dogs, all birds. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of where I'm at now. I, I do a lot of field trialing with my cockers. Uh, I've traveled to Colorado, Montana, New Jersey, uh, wow. Montana. Yeah. I mean, I've been Oregon, California. Just, I just really enjoy it. Wow. You've put, you've got some miles on there, man. It's awesome. Yeah. But not at five fifty a gallon this year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to look a little different. <laughs> Yeah. Can look a little different. Dude, that's so cool. Backing up a little bit. Um, so when you were you were what, you said maybe 16, 17, you got your dog. Did you yep. up when you got your dog, did you do any hunting up on I guess bird hunting before you got the no. dog? Or you were just no. like you knew already you wanted to get into that? Yeah, yeah. It was uh when I started training, it was like, okay, I'm definitely gonna go duck hunting and through, through the training and the people I was training with, um, they had, you know, they'd go out for opening weekend and, and I went out with them that first year, went out with well, a buddy of theirs and it was me and him and my dog who God, I looked back and she was awful. Like it was poor training, just, she broke and all sorts of bad stuff. But 
um, it was, I don't know, it was kind of the icebreaker for me into the dog world. So, and that was, I wasn't chasing girls at 17. I was out trying to train my dog the whole time. Yeah. (laughs) Time well spent. Time well spent. Yes. (laughs) Looking back as well, um, you know, it sounds like pretty early on, maybe early twenties, you were starting to get into the, even the field trial side of things. Like were there any, any like challenges, like as you were getting into, again, everything's new to you, training, hunting trials, like any like challenges you guess you had to over, overcome or face starting out, especially at a yeah. young age. Yeah. I, uh, I mean, a, a big one is just like, you don't know what's right and wrong as far as how to train a dog or the right way. You're just, you're going off of whoever you're with and they say this works. Maybe they have a nice dog. Maybe they don't. Maybe I didn't really have a clue at that point. And, uh, so I kind of, I trained with a certain group for a while and, and they did, they did a fine job. Um, and I went out with a guy's name's Jim Ganya. I don't know if you're familiar with dog world at all. He was, he's a hall of fame retriever haven't, trainer. Haven't heard of him. Yeah. He passed away here, uh, I don't know, a year or two ago now, but okay. he was very, very successful. Um, I went out and I could, like, I saw what he did with his dogs and it was just like, geez, like, and then that's, you know, back to the struggles, I'm 20, 25 years, 20 years old, whatever, trying to do something that a guy's been doing mm. for 40, 50 years. His dad did it for 40 or 50 years, mm. just the amount of knowledge that they can gain sure. through experience. And, um, the retriever world, as far as trials go, even hunt tests, the, the amount of competitive people that are out huh. training five days a week, retired people, people mm. of a ton of money. Um, not that you need that, but was it, money was, it intimida- is, was it intimidating seeing that? Yeah. Yeah. A little bit. I mean, and then you even show up to the trials and it's like, everybody's there to have a good time, but at the same time they're there to win. So like they they're there to kick ass. Tw- yeah. They're not like, Hey kid, uh, good luck. Try this. They're like, I hope you go out because that's one less person I have to beat, you know? So, um, yeah, I mean, you find a group and they're helpful, Sure. but when they show up on a weekend, like they're spending their time and money too, to be there. So they want to win as well. And yeah. Yep. That makes sense, man. That makes sense. Yeah. I, I did not have a whole lot of luck in the retriever trial world. It was, uh, I mean, you show up and it could be 70, 80 dogs, and they're oh. cut in half after the first series. Wow. And you might have good dog work, but you just missed a mark by a little, your dog hunted for a little bit too long, mm. comes up with it and you're out. So there's wow. not a lot of room for error in that world. Sure. That's, I mean, and, and again, all labs, right? Pretty much. Yeah. The golden retrievers, yeah. okay. labs, Chesapeake's, any retriever. Okay. I think is there's uh, a, a, a bazillion, world. a bazillion labs in the world. So <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. That's cool, man. Um, so are you doing, are you doing any waterfall still or primarily up yeah. to, are your dogs? Will they do both for you? Yeah. The cockers aren't necessarily known as good water dogs just cause they don't have the same undercoat as uh, like a retrieve a lab. Um, that, and they weigh 25 to 35 pounds. So they're tiny, but I, I take mine goose hunting. Oh, wow. That's uh, awesome. I, there's some videos that I've posted where she's out they, they, they'll swim in a river and pick up greater Canada honkers. So <laughs> it's, 
I never, the first time we shot one, it was like, Oh man, I'm about to go swimming. Like, <laughs> eh, we'll find out. And I send my dog out there and she grabs it, swims back in. And I'm just like, what the heck? Wow. <laughs> okay. These dogs are, they're not bad. That's gotta be cool to see. It is. That's cool, man. Um, this past season. So it sounds like you did a little bit of traveling, uh, this, this past season, right? Uh, talk a little, talk to me a little bit about that. What was maybe one of your most memorable hunts this year? You got, sounds like you got around to some different States. Um, so last year I just hunted Washington actually. Okay. Um, uh, but previous that previous year, I went to Montana and North Dakota. Um, I was actually on my way to a field trial and I was like, I'm just going to hunt on the way and that'll be my training. So nice. I kind of doubled it, but yeah, last year it was all Washington. Um, I'd say my favorite hunt or the most memorable hunt was I took my two cockers and a, I have a setter as well over. And I don't know if you know anything about Washington, but our bird hunting's like, it's not Montana. It's not North Dakota. We have them, but it, it's tough to shoot a lemon birds out here. Sure. And we shot eight roosters and a three day weekend, which for us is a pretty big deal. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's, so, that's even, that's even good for Colorado. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. And what, yeah. talk a little bit more about Washington, I guess. I, like what species do you have? Where are you generally, where are you chasing them? Like, is it mountain birds? Is it grass? Like where, talk to me a little bit about that. So on the west side of the state, which would be anything west of the Cascade Mountains, uh, we've got grouse and mountain quail. I've okay. never hunted mountain quail. I think our populations are very, very limited. I know people kill some of them, but it's very, very few and far between. Um, our grouse numbers over the last 10 years have just, I don't know what it is, but I just, hmm. you used to go out and see, you know, you could drive around and find grouse here and there, but sure. like, decimated so are you, all are you my hunt, hunting are you hunting them like a, like a dusky is it in like the forest like like a dusky grouse or is it like rocky like a chucker yeah so our grouse on the east side of the mountains are i've actually killed chucker where i kill grouse too but oh, wow. it's mainly um forest areas pines and stuff like that you get up um i don't do a ton of it but i've done it a few times and i I just like running through the mountains. So I, that's where I tend to go. Um, but yeah, anything East, once you get to the Cascades and East from there, grouse in the Cascades, uh, all the way East dusky grouse, blue grouse. Um, and then we've got California quail, um, obviously pheasant. We've got chucker. We've got fairly good chucker hunting, uh, not like Nevada or anything, but good enough. Um, and pretty much as far east as we can go from the Cascades, probably drive for three, four hours, we've got wild birds. So nice. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, pretty much north to south, there's something. Oh, so you guys uh, got a good, any, good variety too. Yeah. Yeah. We've got uh, Hungarian partridge as well. Oh, you do? Uh, nice. They, they say there's some sharp tail okay. in like kind of the central gets to be central Washington area. I, I've never seen them, but I've had buddies that said that they had their dog walk up and they watch these big old <laughs> birds fly off slower than heck. And they're like, I don't know what it was. And I'm like, well, that wasn't a pheasant. I promise you that. Okay. 
That's cool. That's cool, man. Um, yeah. Any, any plans for this year outside of Washington or you're going to stay pretty, pretty local. I, I think we're going to go to Montana in November. Okay. Um, there's a, we didn't draw deer. So we're planning a, a bird trip over there. Just nice. be a group of, you know, five or six guys, hopefully seven or eight dogs and just have a good time. Yeah. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Um, all right, let's, uh, let's talk a little bit more about, uh, birds and specifically training birds. (laughs) I want to get into a little bit more of this. Um, I hear you might be kind of a a bird guru. Is that, is that a fair statement? You think I I wouldn't say that yet. I do really, I do really enjoy having pigeons and we can get more into this, but oh yeah. Yeah. So like, you want me to just dive yeah, into well, it? Well, the one the one piece I'm going to need you to send me the photo comparison you did of the of you with the birds in your arms and the lady from Home Alone too. Oh God! Yeah, I'm going to need that. <laughs> yeah. I'm just saying, I'm going to need that photo. All right, um, that that sums things up pretty good. But uh, yeah, let's let's talk about training birds a little bit. Um, first off, tell me like, what, like, do you just have pigeons? Do you have any like quail and like? yeah let's let's just go from there yeah i mean i i started i just had uh built a loft because i wanted training birds and it was all pigeons pigeons are easy you could find them under bridges if you're you know if you're hard up and you don't want to pay somebody to go trap them um, or you can go trap them yourself so i just i built the loft to put pigeons in there Hmm. um so i went out and i caught a bunch of like just wild feral pigeons i bought you know, people sell them all the time. So I just had training pigeons and they're, they're good, hardy birds for whatever reason. It seems like they, the dogs just do well with them too. You know, the smell it's, it kind of transfers over to wild bird hunting as well. I don't know. They can't smell the same, but there's something about them where the dogs figure it out. Um, but then I was like, one day I was like, I want to get some homing pigeons because I could save five or $6 every time I don't shoot sure. one and it'll come home. So I bought, I think it was like two, two or three breeding pair. I think it's two breeding pair and I paid 50 bucks a pair okay. and I was breeding babies. And I just remember like you, you spend the time with them you go in there and you feed them and you hand feed them. So they kind of get used to you. And I just remember being like, I'm not going to use these for training. Like <laughs> they're kind of my buddies now. And so I, legitimately never used them it was like i just bred them and i flew them around the house and it, i'd throw them at like the dogs you know watch them let them watch them fly away or something sure. like that or as a puppy you know they could chase it and watch it fly away but i just i never did the shake them up and throw them down for the dogs and sure but yeah that's that's awesome Were uh, you... and then back to that i've, oh, yeah. I've had I've had a pheasant. I have a fly pen, a small fly pen. Um, but it was kind of more of a pain. I just had issues with possums and raccoons. Mm. So I didn't do it this year. Okay. And so, so it sounds like, have you, have you always, uh, it sounds like you do a lot of training yourself with your own dogs, right? So did, did you learn it pretty early on? Like, Hey, I need, I need my own birds to make these bird dogs. Yeah. I mean, that's, so we have a group here in Washington, uh, spaniel group and they're not going to share their birds. I mean, they have their locked and they'll share one or two, but it was like, Hey, if I want to have a good dog, I think you can get away with it with certain breeds. Like if you do like retrievers, 
you can throw bumpers and they're, you're teaching them to mark a certain object sure. uh, that you can throw out there. Teaching a flushing spaniel how to flush a bird, sit, watch it get shot and go retrieve it. You can't mm. really like throw a tennis ball out there and sure. tell them to stop and go grab it and throw it. So you do need a pigeon or a, a pheasant or a quail that you can go plant out in the field and then we can work our field. And as the birds come up, you know, the whole process just kind of comes together. Yeah. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. So, so I guess another kind of follow-up question here is like, where did you learn to like take care of these pigeons? Cause I, I have some pigeon, pigeons in my backyard. Um, it's been a big learning process for me. So like, where did you pick up on like, okay, like the feeding process, the watering, how to get them to home. It's so like all those points there, like would love to get into a little bit more of like, especially the homing process. Like how are you getting these birds? Like what, yeah. What do you do for the, for your birds? Yeah. So, I mean, ideally somebody who wants to raise homing pigeons, they're going to have breeding pairs of birds that they can put into a loft with nest boxes. Um, in the nest boxes, you might have like a little dog food dish and you put some pine needles in there or straw or even cat litter. Some do people do like unscented cat litter for nesting material. Um, those babies are born at your house. So they're already naturally going to home into where they're born. So once they're 21 to 28 days old, you take them out. Hopefully you have another loft that you can use. So you're not letting your breeders out as well. Um, you put oh, them into a loft. So, so real quick, sorry, you're keeping breeders yep. separate from, I guess the general population. I, I am. I did oh, okay. last well, two years when I first got them, I didn't, and it, you can still do it. Um, you just have to be careful. As long as your breeders are born where you are, you're not going to run into an issue, but let's say you open your door, your trap door to let out your homers Mm. and then your breeders fly out, they're gone. So, um, yeah, tip, typically you want to wean them off of their parents and put them somewhere that you can raise them to, to fly home to you could even build one loft and just kind of section it out. Even your breeders stay on one side and you put them on the other side. So, gotcha. but yeah, at let's say three to four weeks old, you pull them out and now they have to learn how to eat and drink on their own before they can do anything. Um, if they're not drinking, you'll see their eyes kind of open and close real slow. You Mm -hmm. want to dunk their heads in the water. Mm -hmm. They figure it out real quick. Most of the time all on their own. Um, and that's around three, three to four weeks. You said, yeah, three Ish. weeks. They'll look kind of small. Uh, typically around four weeks, they're pretty, you know, they're not big, but that extra week, if you're kind of questioning it, you know, just give them maybe an extra few days. Um, but a lot of the guys that are racing are going to pull them off at 21, 24, 25 days. So, okay. um, yeah, the, the feeding and the watering, the water is easy. If, if you give them clean water, every day they're fine. Okay. What happens is no matter what you do, they find a way to crap in their water. I don't mm. know how you, <laughs> Just find the, you get the drinkers that cover the outside Sure. and I'll still go in there sometimes. And there's a, a you know, somebody's crap in there. Sure. And it's just, if, they, <laughs> if they have anything bad, whether it's coccidia or salmonella or anything like yeah. that, everybody's drinking it. They're all going to get something. Sure. Um, so if you can change water every day, every morning or every night, whatever it is, 
Yeah. Uh, that's typically the best route, easiest route. I do a lot of, Oh, I was going to say, are you doing, so I'm so sorry. Are you doing like probiotics and like electrolytes? Yep. I do a lot of probiotics just for that natural gut health. Um, you can keep them pretty healthy off of just doing like I do a, it's called Primalac. Um, I don't know who makes it, but it's called Primalac. And I just, I'll put a scoop of that. I think it's a half teaspoon to a gallon or maybe it's one teaspoon to a gallon. Um, pretty much every day. Uh, so if anybody's, if you don't want to use it that much, you can kind of just watch like how their droppings are. If they kind of get a little loose or something Mm. like that, start giving them some more probiotics. Um, I don't do a lot of electrolytes, but I will closer to race season. Um, I haven't gotten into that yet, but probiotics, good gut health is a good one. Um, let me hit accept phone call came in sorry oh you're good you're um, good. but yeah and then as far as feeding it's kind of a there's not like a real perfect science i know people have like recipes that'd be like oh this much per pigeon a day but i kind of just go off of i'll put some feed out and i'll i almost kind of just watch them and when let's say i've got 20 birds and i see two or three getting off the feed and they're going to water that's kind of telling me like, Hey, they're probably getting pretty close to being full and mm. I'll, you don't want to overfeed them. It, it's almost better to feed them a hair light than a hair heavy mm. for two reasons. One, they're going to be less apt to come back home. If they're full, full stomach, they might say, I, I'm not hungry. I don't need to come home. So sure. They might go sit in a tree and then Mr. Redtail or Cooper Hawk <laughs> says, Hey, thanks. There's one. So, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Feed, feed is tricky and it's something that everybody will have to kind of figure out on their own. And maybe you get a can and you fill it up and you dump it out and you, and you watch them eat. And once you see three or four of them go to the water, that's probably a good amount of food right there. And well, maybe so you, will you pick at, up, will you pick up the food at that point? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. And then, so sometimes I'll have, I I want them to eat, I'm buying pigeon specific food, right? So I want them to eat every part of that food, whether it's the pellet, the, the corn, the, the sunflower that's in there, whatever's in there. If they're not eating the entire thing, because if you've put too much in there, they'll just pick and choose all the grains that they want, all the best fatty grains or the, the best tasting grains and it doesn't give them their complete diet. Um, so yeah, feeding's tricky. Um, if you're feeding babies, you could get into like, you want it like percentage of protein that you want to give them will be different as a baby versus when you're flying them around. Um, with feet, how deep you want to get oh we, we can go we can go as deep as you want <laughs> um because i'm pretty interested about this myself personally um with the yeah. feeding so like is it like okay every day again i, I genuinely don't know every day are you yep. giving them, them an opportunity to eat or like are you filling up i have like a blue like little feeder yep i fill the feeder up full probably like once a week mine go through the whole feeder yeah. Like, are you like, like what's your regimen? I guess are, are you going once a day, giving them a small amount and then that's done for yeah, a day? So one, 
when I first wean them, I'm going to feed them twice a day just so I know that they're getting enough. And pretty much I'll feed them until they're full and I'll pull the feed. Okay. Um, as much as they want to eat as a, as a young bird, as a fresh wean bird, they're going to get it um, twice a day. And it's going to be, if you want your birds to home, get them on a schedule because they're extremely habitual birds. Mm. So if it's whatever works for you too, it doesn't have to be nine o'clock, five o'clock. It could be, if your schedule says I can feed them at five 30 in the morning and five 30 at night, then that's sure. what you do. And they'll get used to it. So once they're past their weaning and I'll feed them once a day and it'll be within a half hour, preferably within 10 minutes of the same time every day. So okay. I know my kids get off the bus at four 15. I'm usually feeding at four 30 cause I'm back home. I know that I just go straight out there and I can feed them. Okay. So four 30 is my feed time. Um, and just like today, I went out there at four 15 and I was trying to clean out their loft. And so I put up a piece of wood in front of their return and they were going crazy out there cause they heard me in the loft and it's close to feed time. They actually knocked the wood over and <laughs> barreled into wow. the loft as I'm trying to clean it. So, wow. So they, they know they're very pattern pattern oriented, right? Lost you there again. Oh, sorry. Can you hear me? I, I said, so there, are they very pattern oriented? It's like, they'll get used to whatever yeah. those. And I mean, I was in the are. loft. I locked them out. Yeah. I, I think we're back. Yep. Okay. So yeah, I was in the loft, you know, a couple other times today and there was nothing, but, uh, yeah, come close to feed time They're They know it's time to eat. They're going to be ready for it. Yeah. Okay. So then adult, adult birds, you're just feeding them once a day steady. Yep. Once they're yeah. fully weaned and everything. Yep. Okay. And then what I'm kind of curious, like, are you doing like a, is there like a protein level, like a 22%, 20% like protein level you're getting into these birds or what does that look like? So, so when they're weaned, they're on a 16% feed. Um, it's a, it's like a breeding feed. So okay. it's breed and start is what it is. And it's a 16%. Um, if you give that to birds that you're flying, it's actually pretty tough on their liver. Hmm. You want to drop it down to like a 12 to 14% feed. Hmm. Um, so 16 is even pretty high. Yeah. 16 would be like what you'd want to give your breeders and your birds that you're weaning out. So okay. I, I made the mistake too. Cause they're like in my head, I'm thinking, I remember buying feed for my flying birds and I was like, Oh, I need to get the, what do you guys have? And he's like, Oh, we have an 11, a 13 and a 16. And I'm like, yeah, give me the 16. Because <laughs> give me the highest. Yeah. It makes the most sense, but it's actually kind of the opposite. Their livers can't take uh, a real high protein and it'll, they'll kind of mess with their, their, uh, their poops and stuff oh. like that too. So, okay. Um, one thing I wanted to, so I'm guessing you're, you're getting into the breeding of them too, right? Cause you're, you're looking for what birds you want to breed. What right. is that process like? Like I know dogs is one thing you're looking for certain traits in dogs and certain qualities. Like what are you looking for in a, in pigeons to when you're breeding? So it's kind of similar for me actually, because they do have a pedigree. Um, racing homers have a pedigree and it'll show the dad was 
first prize at this race. Oh my gosh. It. No it's, way. Uh, oh dude. It goes. Oh my so gosh. <laughs> yeah. You're, I mean, a lot of people don't know pigeons are as big as they are, but I mean, there was one that was sold for over a million. It was like a million and <laughs> a million and a half dollars a couple what? years ago. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, I've I mean, heard of the whole racing thing and, and I want to hear a little bit more about that in a little bit, but oh my gosh. Yeah. So you don't need those birds. Obviously <laughs> there's so many people out flying pigeons that you can get homers for next to nothing. Um, but yeah, I mean, they, so they have pedigrees and if you're like, if you want a bird, your, your race course, you fly out to 350 miles. You're going to look for pigeons that are successful at that distance. And, you know, maybe 200 to 400 miles, you know? Um, so it'll show what the parents have done. Grandparent. I mean, you can go back pretty far Wow. and, uh, yeah, you just, you match it. So ideally, you know, just like you buy a dog out of two working dogs that you've seen hunt that have been very successful. You want to breed pigeons that have raced successfully. Their parents have raised successfully grandparents and so on. So, wow. Are you, are you also looking at like kind of like the build, the structure of the bird and like coloration? Like, do you get into like, yeah, what, what does um, that look like? If I know they've been successful racing, I don't really care typically what they handle or feel like, but okay. a lot of guys will, there's a ton of people out there. It's like they buy pigeons and then they breed them and they're like, Oh, this is the best pigeon I've ever handled. And then <laughs> they don't, they don't race it because they're afraid to lose it. Oh. But that bird might be, have zero up in the brain. Mm. So, you know, there's uh, the guys that are really successful, like, unless it's some, it's this crazy good birds last year breeding, maybe you'll keep some of them back or something like that. But a lot of the good guys, every bird has to prove itself and go race. Wow. Dang, man. That's, oh my gosh. That's so cool. I didn't know they had pedigrees. <laughs> that just blew oh, my mind. Yeah. It's, it goes deep and people will list like brothers and sisters. <laughs> oh and, my gosh. Yeah. Some, some people get a little out of hand with it. Um, I'm more of kind of like, I just want to know what the bird did yeah, and if it bred anything really good, that's it. And are you, are you looking at that kind of stuff just for your like training homers or are you, or are you only looking at that for your birds you're racing or both? Yeah. I mean, they're all going to be the same. So okay. all the birds that I'm going to race will be out of the same birds that I'll use for training. Oh really? Um, okay. Yeah. It'll just be like, Oh, this one's no good. So it's going to be a training bird. So okay if I see a bird that's not coming back in good time or maybe it even gets injured or something like that, it'll just become a training bird. So, okay. Um, can you talk, talk to me about this a little bit? So say someone buys a bird that's, uh, maybe a squeaker still, or maybe a little bit older, how -hmm. successful can you be to get that bird to home to your location? Pretty good. Really? Okay. What's that process like? So let's say you buy a bird and it's five weeks old. Let's say it's 35 days old. Um, I don't know where you live or how your place is set up. Do you have, are you in like a uh, suburbs, suburbs okay. houses very close together. So not a lot of trees. Uh, th- there are some, there are some trees. Yeah. There's, there's okay. quite a bit. So trees make it a little bit more difficult just because once the birds do go fly, unless they come back over, at least where I live, it's, a lot of trees for, you know, there's houses, but sure. once they're past my house, it just looks like a bunch of evergreens. So, okay. All um, blends, blends you, together. Yeah. So you would take your squeaker and you would put it 
in your loft, let it have a couple days, get settled in, make sure he's eating and drinking. Um, I don't know how your loft is set up, but if they have a, an aviary that they can come outside and look around, okay. um, you need to let them outside or maybe you even just have a cage that you go put out on a platform in your yard and you okay. just put them out in the cage so they can look around and they can say, that's what my house looks like. Mm. Okay. That's a bit. And they have a, they have memory to where they could see something once and they'll remember it. So they actually have like facial recognition <laughs> to where they will remember your face. Wow. hundred percent. If you're the guy feeding them, they know it's you. Okay. Um, so yeah, you let them out in your yard and you want to let them have probably two weeks of that to be okay. safe. Um, and then this is where your feeding is going to come in real key. If you overfeed them the first time you let them out, they're going to be gone. It, hmm unless they are just like, they really want to be there. Sure. I mean, they're not coming back. Like, why would they, all they have okay. to do is go find food and shelter somewhere else and they're fine. Sure. So if you feed, you can even skip a couple days. Like let's say you feed at five o'clock every day. Maybe you skip it on Friday and maybe even on Saturday, you only give them, or maybe Friday you give them like a half a portion and uh -huh. Saturday you skip and then come Sunday, you, let them you open that door up at, 455 450 okay. and and they go out for a few minutes and you call them back in so if you have like every time you go feeding if you whistle or you, you shake something to that that uh cue that they can verbally hear um that'll help get them back as well okay. ideally your aviary is set up to where you put it on your trap Okay. So let's say you have a trap door, you put the aviary over top of it uh -huh. so you can put them out there, teach them to come back through that first two weeks okay. every time you feed. So you're calling them in from that. Gotcha. They're coming through the trap door. So you're trap training. Then once you turn it loose and you take the aviary off or you open the aviary, they can go out, but they know exactly where to go to get back in. Gotcha. And, the, yeah, and those building blocks you did, you let them you know, let's say sit in the cage, they in the yard, so they know what the house looked like, what the backyard, whatever yep. it was, and then getting them used to going through the trap door. Cause yep. that's a whole step of getting them and, used and to you go can through do that. those. You could do those in the same day too. You could put them out okay. in the yard for an hour, put them back in the aviary, let them go through the trap right at dinner time, or maybe he's out there for 30 minutes, an hour, two hours, who knows? But okay. uh, yeah, teaching him the building blocks, and there's something that I try to do. It's like, if I question my decision, like, Oh, should I let my birds out today? What did I do? Maybe I fed them a little heavier last night. Just, I wasn't paying attention or I had to go to soccer or something like that. Sure. I'm like, Oh, if I do that. They're probably overfed. It's not going to do me any well. So just be patient and do it right. Hmm. Because once they're gone, they're gone. Like, Sure. You might get them back after day two or three, but the yeah. chance, like when they're gone, they're as a young bird, they have no reason to come back. Sure. So, so like if they're, if they don't come back that day, nighttime comes pretty good chance. They're not coming. Um, yeah. Unless you saw it like land up in a tree or, or it's close by, maybe it landed on your house and to come back to the loft, it's kind of a, the more birds you have, the better, obviously, because okay. one goes, the rest are going to go. I mean, it, they pretty much will follow, but, uh, you know, if you're letting three or four birds out and you overfed them yesterday, 
and they're just like, yeah, dude, we'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> As maybe a, yeah. yeah, maybe something flies by and it scares them and they take off and they're gone two miles and they're like, oh, I don't know where I live. Mm. Let's go here. There's a bird. Let's go hang out with them. Like they're done. Sure. So, and, and so the other part then is, um, okay. So when, uh, okay. So you're letting them out, let's say you're letting them out from your yard. So they know how to do the door. They got familiar with yep. your yard. What's the process then getting them to home from a mile, two miles, 10 miles. Yeah. So once you can get them on like a good feed schedule and you're letting them out every day, every other day, whatever it is, every day is ideal. Um, let's say you feed at five, you let them out at four 30, they fly around for a half hour. They come down, you call them in and you feed them and you'll do that for a month, six weeks, however long, uh, four, four to six weeks, you should be able to go road training from there. So if you let them loft fly and loft fly and loft fly, they'll get to the point to where you'll open the door depending on where you live, which your house, they might take off. They might go and they might stay. I'm routing and they'll take off a mile and they'll fly North for a mile. And then they'll come flying back over top of your house and then you'll see them disappear again. And they'll actually start going in all these directions. The birds will figure out, Oh, this is where I live. Here's this, here's this. Um, once you see that, you know, for a fact, you could throw them in a basket, take them down the road, turn them loose. They're coming home oh, wow. or they should be trying, trying to come home. Okay. So, yeah. Okay. So once you kind of see them doing that pattern, like you just described, then you kind of have the confidence of, okay, now I could put them in a bag and, and go from a little further. Absolutely. Okay. But if, if they're up flying for six weeks, then you can take them down the road for sure. Um, okay. And if, and if you're scared, maybe you just go a half mile. Maybe you go, maybe you go to the end of your driveway. Sure. So they get the basket and they, and you do it right at dinner time. You know, you put them in the basket, you take them out and you release them. So they get used to that. And then me, I mean, some guys that are racing birds, their first toss is 20 miles. Oh, wow. I mean, they, once they're loft flying and they're routing, a lot of the guys think they can just go straight to 20 miles. The ones that don't come home are the dummies. Wow. The rest have something in their <laughs> head that helps them get home. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, I, I don't suggest doing that and sure. I'm not going to do it. I'm sure. I like the baby step process where yeah. I'm going to my driveway right here and <laughs> I want them to fly back to the backyard and then I'm going to go maybe a quarter mile just so that like they kind of learn like, Hey, when you're in the basket, let's go back home. Sure. So, um, and then once you know, you can road train them, you get them down the road. Let's say you're tossing at five miles. I don't know where you train at or how far you, your goal is to get, but if you have good homers, I mean, there's nothing that says you can't go train 20, 40, 50 miles with a good, healthy bird every day. Sure. I mean, you could go throw them at 20 miles. No problem every day. That's, that's amazing. But, it, it just amazes me. These. Oh yeah. Is it, is it just memory for them? Is it a sense of, I think it's part once they do it enough, I think they start recognizing big key objects, maybe a lake that they fly over. Um, I don't know, maybe a mountain or something yeah, like that, but points. something about the magnetic waves of the earth. People say that that's how they get home. So that's so crazy. Yeah. They can't prove it, but they have an educated guess. 
<laughs> okay. And when, and kind of maybe last thing for right now on, on, uh, birds, but talk a little bit about the racing side of things. Like what, like just, what does an event look like for racing pigeons? So typically on like a Friday night, guys will get all their birds together. And at least for where we live, we've got uh, a truck that starts up North and the, the club that's most north they'll hurry up at their meeting place they scan birds because they all have electronic chips on their leg mm. so they'll scan birds in check their band number make sure somebody else will do it and check make sure it it's the right bird they throw it in a crate so this club puts in 50 birds this club puts in 100 and this guy just drives from north to south and picks up from every club wow. so he might have five six eight hundred birds on the truck wow he drives down to wherever the race station is going to be and he'll spend the night there. Offer the birds water in the, uh, at night and in the morning, I believe. And then, uh, they have a liberation time. So let's say eight o'clock is liberation time. He'll pull the lever on the, the trailer and all the crates open up wow. all the birds all together. The birds, all the birds take off. Wow. So everybody's clock will be dialed in at, eight o'clock was the time birds were released. Now, Tim down in this, it's most South, his distance might be 122 miles, but the guy all the way up North might be at 190 miles. Oh, so they take your average speed over that distance. So oh, if it wow. takes him two hours, they know he flew at, you know, 1580 yards per minute or whatever it is. That's right. Cause the birds are going back to their houses. They're not going to a single point. Correct. A, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Oh my god. So everybody gosh. will have to go back to their club and they have to kind of <laughs> put all the results together and yeah, it's so, it's, so uh, who clocks it in at your house? So say the bird comes back to your house. Everything is electronic. Oh, okay. Yep. So everybody will have a clock at their loft where the birds walk across. Okay. Um, to drop in and that electronic band will scan it in the exact time down to the second as it goes in. Oh my and it's crazy because you'll get guys that live 30 miles apart and their birds will be within three seconds of each other as far as the average oh, wow. speed. Oh my so gosh. you know that they were probably flying together and my bird drops off, goes home. This bird peels off and goes to his house and they just happen to be on that same speed. Wow. Yeah, dude, my mind is like, it's just blown right now. Um, with these, do races always conclude like the same day or can they go overnight? Yeah. So there's guys, um, they do something called the Western open where there's releases in Nevada. You'll get guys in Washington, Oregon, Idaho, Montana, these guys that are 600 miles away that are sending birds. So wow. to get a 600 mile day bird is like, yeah, you're pretty special. Um, so sometimes those long, long races will go into two days. Uh, I know even over in like Germany and Belgium, they would even release at like later in the day. So mm. every bird was a two day bird. Okay. Cause you'd get guys on the short end that might be like 450 miles that could get day birds. Wow. But then these guys on the long end, that might be 600, 620 miles. 
their birds are going in a tree at night because the amount of time you have in the day is, you know, they sure. can only fly so fast. So they'll go yeah. in and sit in a tree, but then they lose eight hours of daylight flying. So they, it's impossible to win. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Do yeah. you, do you have like, do you have like a top? I mean, well, first off, how many birds do you have total roughly? Um, I've got about 18 breeding pair. Okay. And then right now I think I have 75 babies that I'll be oh, wow. starting to race this year. Okay. Okay. Do yeah. you have like, do you have like a, a top bird who's like <laughs> most successful uh, in racing? So I have some birds that have done pretty good in races. Um, there's a bird out there, his dad. So this bird actually never flew, but his dad flew from, uh, I believe it was Reno, Nevada back to Washington wow. twice in the same year in a wow. single day, which is 568 miles. Oh, in a single day and a single day. Oh my so gosh. It's that's unreal. I mean, you think about that. You can't drive yeah. to Reno, Nevada in a day. No. So, and this guy yes. lived in Wenatchee and this bird flew home from Nevada Wow! on the day twice. I, I think he clocked that bird clocked like 7,000 miles in two years of racing, <laughs> oh, just my. racing. That's Jeez. not even training. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. You, there's a, a story of a guy silver in Germany or Belgium or something like that. He very successful racer had a top bird that he ended up being just a breeder at this point. Somebody broke into his house, steals this bird, takes it back to like Australia or something like that. So the bird's like 3,000, 4,000 miles away from home. Two years later, the bird gets loose. No way. Flies all the way home. <laughs> goes, goes back to his original breeding box. The guy walked out one day and his bird was in there. No way. Yeah. Holy cow. <laughs> that's so crazy. There, there's a serious, I mean, oh, that's yeah. a good bird. That's but, insane. Yeah. Typically our races are a hundred to 400 miles. Okay. So, yeah. Dude. A little that's, bit different. Oh yeah. That's so cool though, man. I thought it was impressive. My, uh, the birds I got, I got from a buddy and they're all, they're all older birds. And, uh, I, know, I was, I was doing the process of, I was kept them in their, uh, in their coop for a while and then finally let them out. Well, one bird I let out went back to my buddy's house. who's only like five miles away. Yeah. And, uh, I thought that was so cool. I was like, Oh my gosh, he went back to his original house. It was like a year apart. And I was like, I thought that yeah. was cool, but <laughs> it is though. I mean, you think yeah. about it, like, how does that, how does that his, bird know after a, year, a year, a year later, a couple miles away. And he knew to go back to that, the old house. Yeah. It's just like, it's just, I don't know. That fascinates me. Yep. I agree. A hundred percent. That's, I mean, that's where I was like training birds fled into, I mean, I started with just this little bitty loft that was like <laughs> four by four. And now I've got sure. an eight by 24, a four by eight and a 10 by 12. Wow. <laughs> You're so, all in, man. You're all in. I'm all in. Do you, do you think, I, I think you might've, we touched on this a little bit, but like raising training birds in an urban area or in a um, suburb area, like it is possible, right? Is it just harder because of yeah. I think if you're, if you're a good neighbor, right? Like pigeons and feed and their feces, like they're going to attract mice and rats. Right. So mm -hmm. if you could do your best about like, how can I keep a clean loft that stays dry 
and your feed, I mean, this might be back to you. I don't know how your loft is set up, but just making sure it's like predator proof and mouse proof. So nothing can get in. Um, p- pigeons are easy. I, I think most people kind of enjoy seeing them fly around. I mean, sure. you might get the, the one neighbor, maybe the bird lands on his house and he thinks <laughs> all of a sudden his house is going to be loaded with poop. But uh, I think in general, as long as it's not against your HOV laws sure. or anything like that, right. it should be all right. Yeah. That's good. That's, that's encouraging. I know yeah. a, lot, a lot of people will ask and you know, they, they see, I have some birds and I go, oh, like, how do you do it? How is it possible? It's like, I think so. I'm still figuring it out. Like, <laughs> I don't think I've been yeah. very successful. Lost a couple birds. Well, most, most people like back in Belgium that are racing, I mean, they have like tiny little yards Yeah. and they, I mean, they don't, you don't need a lot. You just, you have to be realistic. Like if, if your loft is eight foot by eight foot, you know, you're not going to stick 50 birds in there. Sure. You know, you gotta be appropriate it, for the size. Keep you it have. down. Yeah. Just it, overall health for the birds will be better. Um, yeah. just everything. So, yeah. Well, dude, that's, uh, that's a wealth of knowledge right there. I, I love that. Um, before we, before we wrap up, I want to talk a little bit about uh, some of the trials you're into with your dogs and, uh, talk about them a little bit more, but, um, looks like you've had some, some good success with a couple of your, a uh, couple of your cockers here. Uh, what, uh, was trials just something you wanted to you know you wanted to get into and, and what kind of trials are you running? So it wasn't when I bought my first cocker, it, my wife, she was like, Hey, I, I want to get a dog. That's like 20 pounds, 15 to 20 pounds. And I just remember kind of being like, oh, I bet you I could sell her on a Brittany. Like <laughs> you can find Britneys that are pretty small, you know? And I was like, Hey, what do you think about a Brittany? And she's like, how big are they? And I was like, Oh, like 30 pounds and kind of smudged the weight a little bit. <laughs> yeah, she's yeah. like, ah, oh, that's, that's too big. And I was like, ah, oh, dang it. All right. Try something else. So. Uh, my buddy, Chris King lives in Nevada. He's got setters and, and cockers. And I was talking to him. I was like, how big are your cockers? And he said, one of them's like 40 pounds and the other one's 22. <laughs> and I was like, Hey babe, what about a 22 pound cocker? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, she didn't say no. And I, I researched the crap out of them for, mm. I don't know month i show up at home and i would just type in english cockers and something new hunting uk everything yeah. i could find on them uh health and all that and i found a litter that was pretty close and uh i drove i actually told her i was going hunting i was like i'm gonna take rigs hunting and she goes <laughs> she's like didn't he just get neutered and i'm like yeah he's gonna be fine though and <laughs> we went and picked up a puppy and uh i brought it home and oh, nice. put it in her lap and yeah so that was kind of the start of cockers for me. And then yeah. it was, uh, from there, I, I reached out to a local person that lives about 30 minutes from me. And, uh, they have a training group that gets together every week. And I was just like, Hey, do you mind if I come out and, yeah. you know, see your dogs? And she's, uh, she's been awesome. Her name is Tawny Crawford. She's actually was just inducted to the dog hall of fame last year. Oh, wow. So I kind of struck gold as far as like, the training group I got into, oh, that's incredible. And they all field trial. Um, her husband used to hunt, but a lot of the people in the group are just kind of field trial people. Now, uh, retired folks that just, they want to do stuff with their dogs. Um, so being competitive and being in hunt test field trials previously, it was like, yeah, I'm definitely going to do this. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, man. Yeah. 
And these, and so obviously these are all, all fleshing dog trials. Um, is it, are you walk me through a, a, a flushing dog trial? Yeah. So for like an open flushing dog trial, AKC stuff, um, it's three series on a typical weekend in the first two series you brace with another dog. So it'll okay. be, they typically run like a flag line to mark the course. Okay. One dog gets the right side. One dog gets the left side. Okay. Judges say, go, you both go down the course. Um, if the other dog puts up a bird and I'm running, they shoot it. My dog has to sit in honor okay. of that shot. Okay. So, so we they sit, sit wait. they sit on the shot. Correct. Okay. Yep. So my dog will sit and honor that shot. The other dog will go out and make the retrieve and come back. We carry on. Once it's my turn, I flush, or if I get a bird at that next point, mm-hmm. um, my dog flushes it. Once the bird's flush, she has to sit down. They shoot it, has to wait for me to call her name to, to go make the retrieve. Um, typically, they give you two contacts each, uh, or two contacts for each series. So you can get up to six birds in a three okay. series. They'll do callbacks if, if you didn't do good. Okay. If, you, if your dog broke, you're out. Um, they do something called poaching. If you cross the center line and take the other dog's bird oh, automatic okay. out. Okay. Um, can't fail a retrieve. You got to make sure if they send you, you got to come up with the retrieve. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's pretty straightforward. I mean, if, it would be like if we were both hunting a field together with two dogs, you know? Sure. When, when your dogs make the retrieve, do they have to come back and sit uh, on your side and then hand the bird over or can they just come towards you? You reach out, grab the bird. Yeah, they do have to deliver to hand. It doesn't have to be like you see a lot of the lab guys where they come in and sit next to them. A lot okay. of times, uh, the spaniels will come sit in front, deliver the bird. That way they're looking for their next command, either left or right to go back. Oh, out front. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, I was, I was thinking lab. Yeah, they come around the owners, pick a side, yep. go that route. That's awesome, man. What uh, did you? Uh, cause, did you do some trials this past year with your dogs? Uh, yeah, we just ran one a couple weeks ago okay. uh, here, just locally. Like I said, gas is five fifty gallon. New child. Jeez. Oh yeah. It's like staying home and working. And, <laughs> totally. And just. You know, every time a trial comes up, I'm like, ah, oh, I want to go. And I'm like, well, I probably shouldn't. <laughs> Do, doing, wait. doing some math. And it's like, wait a second. This, yeah. <laughs> this has turned into a. But, yeah. But last year we ran, I don't know, probably 10 of them. Okay. And then we went back to nationals in New Jersey and ran that, which was pretty awesome. That's awesome. What are, do you know, like, what's the, not ranking system, but like this like is it senior hunter master hunter um so for hunt tests they do have a junior hunter senior hunter master hunter for field trials um there's an amateur stake and an open stake so amateur gets you your amateur field championship where uh your open stake gets you a field championship okay so same as same as a pointing dog world kind of field trial okay pros are pros are allowed to run in the open amateurs all amateurs gotcha okay so and then obviously in the open amateurs can run it as well. Gotcha. Okay. And are, are is judging again, I've only run one AKC trial. Like it's judging. Is it uh, like, are they looking for like certain categories that judging on categories or is it a, a little bit more of a loose, just um, comparing the two dogs? 
Yeah. I mean, it's probably similar to I'm trying to remember how the pointing world works, but you know, you, your dog needs to be stylish. Your dog's got to yeah. be able to find birds. Um, obviously basic obedience, like your dog can't be out of control for sure. too long. Uh, yeah. Bird finding is supposed to be number one. If your dog go out and find birds and make it look good, you're probably going to do pretty good. Um, okay. they definitely weigh the retrieving aspect of it, but it's most judges don't weigh that as much. Okay. Um, you can get kind of bonus points if you have a tougher retrieve, but okay. typically if you go out and make the retrieve and it's not, you're not out hunting for a long time, you, you kind of get credit for it. Gotcha. Okay. That's awesome, man. Um, and then I don't think we touched on this, but so you have, the two cockers, right? And then the setter, just one setter, three, three cockers and three, a setter, three cock. Wow. You're, you're, you're all in on the cockers, man. Oh yeah. And then one of them's probably going to have puppies this year. So oh, that's we'll exciting. Have another one. That's yeah. exciting. What, um, what led you to pick up the setter? Uh, my buddy's short hair and I, I'd never had a pointing dog before. Okay. Uh, so I talked to some people and my girls, I think were, probably around four, five, six years old at the time. And I just remember kind of looking for, a, cause I always thought like pointing dogs are psycho crazy. Can't have them in the house. And I, people were like, Hey, have you ever had an English setter or seen one? I'm like, just tied up to a chain barking at me. Like that's, <laughs> that's it. And they were like, buy a setter. You won't, you won't go wrong. Yeah. So he's by far the laziest, easiest house dog we have. Nice it he is the easiest dog um in the world so the cockers are a little bit more needy they'll follow okay. you around where he just lays in the dog bed until you say let's go outside and then he jumps up and goes outside so yeah well i forgot to ask you this earlier on when you were going getting your first bird dog were you were you purely just kind of going off size and you and your wife were going back and forth on the size of the dog or did you have a preference on like do you wanted a pointy dog or did you like, did you have a strong opinion on a flushing versus pointing dog at the time or? Um, well, when I bought my setter, I wanted a pointing dog. Okay. Just did the setter come first or the, the setter came first? Oh, yeah. okay. I'm sorry. I thought the uh, cockers came first. No, but I don't know if I'll have another pointing dog after having cockers. Okay. I don't know. There's something about like you hunt behind, you know, pointing dogs. So there's a different aspect. Like you get to walk up, or you, maybe you come around the corner and you see your sure. dog locked up and that's awesome. Right. And sure. so especially you get to go walk in there and hopefully yep, yep. you pick up a bird within good gun range. I like it to where I get to watch my dogs work in range and I get to see that head movement where mm. she just made a bird. And now I'm just like, okay, here we go. You're ready. And then, yeah, you're ready. Or maybe you don't even see it and a rooster just explodes. Right. Mm. And it just kind of, it's like, Oh, there it is. You know? And, it's just a different, you know, different way. I like both, yeah. but yeah, I love these little cockers. Oh man, I got I got to hunt over a cocker. <laughs> well, we can make it happen. Yeah, we need to. We need we to. We can for sure. I think it'd be cheaper if I flew there than drove, but still. <laughs> Most likely, I was just looking up because there's a trial in North Dakota next month, and I was like, it's twelve hundred miles. I'm like, that's eight hundred bucks in gas easily. <laughs> Easy. If I don't get off the exit ever, yeah. But, <laughs> Oh, it's out of, out of, out of control. <laughs> yeah, it is. Oh man. Well, that's cool. I've, uh, I've had quite, quite a few, uh, 
Well, maybe, yeah, maybe a handful of cocker guests on here. And it's everyone I talk to raves about these little dogs. And uh, yeah, I, I need to they, see them in person. Have, they just have like a way of kind of like stealing the attention. I don't know what it is. <laughs> it's just the way I like them too is like they're not just upland dogs. Like sure. I took mine in the goose blind and like she jumps in, she crawls up to the left of me and she just lays down. <laughs> and then 27 pounds, like you don't, yeah. she's not in the way. That's perfect. Um, yeah. I took her duck hunting last year. There were seven guys and I showed up and they were like, what are you doing? I was like, they were like, is that a puppy? And I was like, no. <laughs> like, no, it's a full grown dog. It's going to pull yeah, in the goose. Yeah. And she legitimately had never duck hunted before. Like I had her in the uh, layout blind one time and uh, she was just good. And I was like, I'm going to take her duck hunting. So I show up and these guys are kind of laughing. I'm like, Oh, look at this. And she's steady. Like I swing the doors open. We yeah. shoot birds. And I call her name and she runs out and picked up ducks for seven guys. And it was like 30 minutes into it. And they're like, you're a bullshit asshole. Like what <laughs> you, you're telling me you don't duck hunt. Like that dog's like, better than most labs I've hunted <laughs> with. And I was like, well, Oh, she does her job. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Very, it sounds, I mean, they sound versatile. They sound like this happy-go-lucky, good little versatile dogs. Honestly, they're versatile enough. They're, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put them in big water or anything tough, you know. But field hunts, small ponds, yeah, stuff that's perfect. like that, they're great. Yeah. That's perfect. Oh man. Um, well, last thing I'd like to ask everyone, uh, and then we'll, after this, we'll end on the rapid fire section, but, uh, for the rookie out there, uh, there's a rookie out there listening to this podcast, maybe going into their first season, this coming fall, uh, maybe they're getting their first bird dog, whatever it might be. Like what's some advice you would give them, uh, going into their first upland season, uh, wanting to get out there. Well, I would say try to hunt with people that have, if they're wanting to get a dog, like go hunt with somebody that has a lab, go hunt with somebody that's got a Brittany setter a pointer um and when you do buy a dog like buy a dog that's going to match what you're going to do mm. so i like the pheasant hunt typically um i don't think my setter is that good on pheasant i just mm. where we hunt it's thicker so i'm going to buy a dog that matches that country mm. and that's a little flushing dog um but i would just say you know reach out don't be afraid to reach out to guys and say hey do you have any don't don't ask them where they go but <laughs> you know, do you have any helpful tips or, yeah. Hey, or maybe just come up with like, Hey, what do you think about this spot? Or if I go bird hunting, do you think if I try this, I'll be successful or maybe mm. what kind of habitat I should look for? Yeah. Um, questions that are going to be good. Not like, Hey, where do you hunt? I can't find any birds here. <laughs> right. Right. Like what's Which your, happens like, what, all the time. Oh, hundred percent. Like yeah. what's your situation and, and what kind of dog is going to work for, for that, your lifestyle, your hunting style, your, you know, what birds you want to chase, whatever, whatever and, it might be. And that's a big one. Lifestyle, like the dog, you're going to hunt with it for, let's say two weeks out of the year, three weeks yeah. out of the year, 20 days. Yeah. But then you got to live with it for 340. <laughs> right. So people forget about that. And yeah, you know, it's a big, it's, it's a big deal. It's, it's, it is a huge deal. You know, whether they're in your house or in a kennel in the backyard, like it's, it's going to matter because they're going to be around you every day of the yeah. year. And don't buy an ugly dog because you don't want to look at them. <laughs> <laughs> preach it. Preach it. <laughs> uh, so true. 
So true. Uh, well, that's awesome. I love that. Um, all right. Last thing, we'll go through a couple uh, rapid fire questions and just kind of give me your uh, off the cuff answer and we'll kind of go from there. There's a couple I thought of as we were talking that I'm going to throw in and, and surprise you. So get ready. Perfect. Let's do it. <laughs> all right. First one, uh, what gun are you carrying out into the field and why? I shoot an over and under uh, Brita Silver Pigeon. Um, it, it mounts good for me. I typically where I'm aiming is where it goes. Uh, it's not always at the bird, but it's <laughs> that's, it shoots well for me. That's good. That's, that's the kind of gun you want. Yep. All right. Favorite dog breed besides the ones you own. Hmm. See, I read this and I, I, I don't know, <laughs> but so if I had to pick one, it might be a short hair and okay. I've always been around kind of psychotic short hairs, but I've seen <laughs> if you get one, it seems like they like to hunt. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd okay. go with the short hair. Okay. Short hair it is. Um, next one, favorite bird to hunt and why? Definitely a rooster pheasant. Uh, yeah. I just think the excitement of a big male rooster coming out of whatever it's living in, you get it, you know, a 20 inch tail behind it. Maybe it's cackling. I just don't think there's much better than that. That's awesome. That's, that's iconic. Uh, favorite. Uh, this kind of, I, I wrote this in there earlier, favorite training bird and why I didn't know if you had quail or pigeons as well, but well, we do train with pheasant quite a bit, but I yeah. would, I would typically take uh pigeons all year round. Okay. Versatility. Versatility. I, I think they're, they're just, they're easy to put out there. The dogs do well with them. If you use them as like a clip wing, they're tough. Like you could just reuse them and reuse them and throw them back in. They're easy to sure. keep at home. So yeah, sure. definitely pigeons. That's awesome. All right. And they're uh, cheap. And they're, <laughs> yes, that's, that's key. Um, favorite uh, or what bird bag do you use? I use a final rise vest. Final rise vest. Okay. Is I, that what you meant? Uh, um, I was thinking training bag, like okay, training. Like little, so. I use a falconry vest. Okay. Uh, Paneo falconry. Okay. It's a company out of Washington, but oh, yeah, nice. it's two big pockets up front for birds, big pocket in the back. Oh, so, perfect. Okay. Very yeah. cool. And then the final rise for, uh, for out hunting. For hunting. Yep. Okay. Good choice. Good choice. Um, all right. Solo hunt with you and your dogs or a group hunt with some buddies. Hmm. See, that's a tough one too, but I hunt probably 90% solo. Uh, and I feel like I'm more successful because it's never questioning, like, wonder if he wants to go this way or that way. It's just mm. like, I just go walk. So I enjoy that you'd, you'd solo did, hunt for sure. Just, just follow the dogs. If they go left, you go follow left. the dogs. That's it. That's the best part. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Last one beverage of choice after a hunt. Um, either Jack and Coke or root beer. Oh, root beer. Uh, some, sometimes I, whatever it is, if I go hunting for a long period of time, I crave a root beer. Yeah. That sounds real. I, I'm craving one now. <laughs> I know. Sounds... Right. I don't drink soda, but I go for like a tough hunt. My body just craves a root beer. Dude, you're my first Washington guest and first uh, root beer <laughs> answer. So I like it. You got, you got some special, uh, special answers there. So <laughs> perfect. Jeff, man, this has been, uh, this has been so fun. Um, I learned a lot. I hope uh, everyone out there learned a little bit too. And, um, this has been fun getting to know you. 
Yeah, I appreciate it. Hopefully, uh, hopefully everybody learned something. Yeah. Oh, I, I, I think so. <laughs> I think Good. so. Well, man, I, uh, yeah, thanks again for doing this, jumping on and love to hear about your dogs and pigeons and all that good stuff. And uh, I'm sure we'll be talking again soon. Sounds good, man. Yeah. Thanks so much. Take it easy. I appreciate it. All right. Bye. Well, that's a wrap of episode 41 with Jeff Lusk. Uh, wow. <laughs> I learned a ton through this episode. Jeff, thank you so much. Uh, thanks for sitting down with me and just sharing what you've learned, the process that you've used and uh, just picked up along the way. I think it's fascinating and uh, something if, if anyone's considering uh, keeping or picking up pigeons to use with their bird dogs, uh, I think this episode has been very valuable. So thank you so much. Hey guys, do me a favor, go over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify and leave a rating and review of this podcast. It is going to help serve the algorithm gods and get this podcast out there to more bird dog hunters and just freaking great people just like you. So that would be much appreciated. Hey guys, don't forget, just have so much fun with your bird dogs this season. Set goals, set expectations right uh, for whatever you are working on and go put some miles on those boots and follow your favorite bird dog. Take care.